welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hey Garden Church, I am so excited to be with you guys. Um, Darren has asked me to do um, a preach on a topic that I absolutely love. So thank you for having me. Um, I love this time of year. Um, the Adams family go all out for Christmas. So we've been playing Christmas carols for quite some time now, um, to the point that our kids have been asking us, please, can you stop with the carols already? Um, we've had our decorations up before Thanksgiving, sorry. Um, and we just, we just love getting all festive in this season. So um, it is my absolute joy that I get to share with you a message that actually is something that I, um, that I love at a time of year that's probably my most favorite. One of my favorite carols is Joy to the World. And we played that on repeat probably several times in our house already. Um, and even as I was thinking for this message and Darren asked me to speak on the topic of joy, I've been really listening to the lyrics of carols and been thinking quite often, I, I wonder if we really get what this means. Like even joy to the world, something so simple. What does that really mean? Um, and that's the thing with songs and carols. Often we treat them like I don't know, like nursery rhymes or sweet poetry. We learn the lyrics because we've, uh, you know, heard the song so many times, but often we're not stopping long enough to really think around what does this actually mean? These songs that speak of truth and speak of the life of the gospel, what are they actually trying to communicate? So I'm excited that today uh, I get to explore what this concept of joy to the world that we sing about really means for our lives. And we're going to be looking at Luke 2 together, uh, just exploring a few things um, about this joy that we find in Christianity. I'm going to be reading from Luke 2. I, I'm using my ESV Bible. You can uh, keep along in this with whatever version of the Bible that you like to read. Here we go. Luke 2 verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or otherwise you can translate that and on earth peace and goodwill among men. I love these verses. I mean, I know that we're probably all really, really familiar with them, but when we stop to read them slowly and carefully, uh, we see these verses are remarkable, almost too fantastic. Uh, they stretch our belief muscles, um, which is really why the author Luke, uh, such an ordered and scientific man, we know that he was a doctor. He names as many verifiable facts as he can in the story. He's telling us uh, at which time, which emperor, which governor, which city, he's wanting his readers to check the facts and see that he's not made up the story because who else um, is going to tell you stories of angels arriving to mark a birth and angels appearing to shepherds this this is almost like a fairy tale except of course we know that it's truth and it is fact I love in these verses uh, the sense of joy and peace and goodwill if you want to know what God's heart is for humanity, that's a good place to start. Joy and peace and goodwill. And today we're going to focus on joy. What is the promise of joy in Christianity? Well, the first thing I want to say about the joy of Christianity is that it's entirely surprising. If you found someone out on the street who, you know, wasn't a Christian, uh, didn't have a relationship with God, and you ask them what comes to their mind if they hear the word Christianity or a Christian, I'm willing to bet that joy isn't top of their list. Uh, if you're going to ask a non-Christian, hey, give me any words that come to your mind about Christianity, uh, really joy would be not anywhere on their list, I think. Uh, joy is not something that people tend to associate with God, with Christians, or really with any kind of religion in reality. God moving into your neighborhood for most people wouldn't make them throw a party. It would make them feel like they needed to behave. Um, I think of, you know, as I read these verses and I think angels come and announce um, and declare that there's joy to be had because God's moved in. I think how unlikely that would be uh, as a reaction for most people if God moved into the neighborhood. It's, it's like if a police officer moves into your neighborhood, moves in next door, it's unlikely that you're going to be having, uh, you know, as crazy parties as you might have had before. You might start overthinking really the how loud your music is playing you might start thinking about um, being careful about how you drive in your street um, I don't know if anyone else is like this but if I'm driving and a police car starts driving behind me I don't tend to like become more relaxed as I drive if anything I start overthinking my driving if anything I'm like doubly careful now because I'm aware that a policeman is behind me 
Um, I remember a moment at school when I was, um, I must have been kind of early teens. I went to a pretty strict school um, run by nuns. Um, and, you know, they were, they were really strict around our behavior. And I remember one time in class, for some reason, I had no interest in what was being taught that day. And um, I decided to sneak in a book that I'd been reading at home that I really wanted to see what happened in the story. And so I sat at the back of the classroom, got my book out, started reading it, ignoring everything that was going on behind me, but keeping the book out of sight. And I got so lost in the story that I didn't realize um, that my teacher had walked right next to me until she suddenly made a little noise. So I looked up and there she was staring down at me whilst I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. And I remember as she came close, suddenly there was panic in me. I, I got that horrible feeling of fear where your heart starts thudding and I was getting a little bit clammy and I could feel my cheeks blushing. Um, when she came close, I wasn't about to throw a party. If anything, there was fear because she had seen me doing something that I wasn't meant to. For most people, the concept of God coming close is a little bit like that. It's not so much, wow, here the life of the party has arrived, rather big brother is watching and he's gonna see all the things that I probably shouldn't be doing. Part of the reason for this, I think, is because as human beings, we carry a sense of guilt, whether we're aware of that or not. We know that something's not quite right and we don't quite know what to do about it. But part of the reason also, I think, is because the enemy is heavily, heavily invested in making us feel that we'd rather not have God too close. If the enemy can get us to hold God at arm's length because we're actually scared that God might be um, scary and mean and actually be really stern about the things that we do, uh, if the enemy can really convince us of that so that we hold God at arm's length, uh, then he'll never get close enough to show us just how kind and wonderful he really is. But we, here we have a moment in Luke 2, and this is where we see the true um, experience that God is inviting us into. Here we have it. Luke 2 saying, hey guys, God has broken into human history. God has just moved into your neighborhood. And far from this being a moment where you need to be fearful, the angel says, don't fear, have no fear. This is a moment to throw a party because God moving into our neighborhood is not meant to be a thing that brings panic, is meant to be a thing that creates great joy for us. And I love these verses because I think they're surprising. I think they show us that Christianity is nothing like what you would expect of religion, that God is nothing like what you would expect of, of God, because rather than God coming close, meaning that we need to behave, God coming close means that we get to experience joy. And I think that's the first thing that I see in these verses of the surprising nature of joy in Christianity. The second thing about the joy of Christianity that I think these verses show us is that joy is loud. Now, 
we get, you know, you might say, okay, okay, I get that we're allowed to be joyful in Christianity. It says, the angel announces there's going to be great joy because he brings good news. But surely the joy that he's talking about is something that's appropriate for, for a religion, something that's appropriate for a, a serious God, something that's appropriate for people of morality. And so what we might think is that the joy that the angel is describing is something that's polite, um, something that's sensible, something that would be appropriate in a quiet library, perhaps. Um, or maybe it's like a clapping that you would see on the side of a golf tournament, something very polite, very gentle, and incredibly appropriate, something that you might think of as quite British. That sort of joy, that's what we're thinking about surely, when we talk about joy that's associated with God. Mm, Not quite, actually. So in Luke 2, the angel says, I bring good news of great joy. And because I think we've become familiar with this great joy, the two words almost get together in a way that we lose the great in association with joy. And it almost doesn't really make much difference to us. But here's the thing about the great joy. The word great there, you can actually translate it as loud. And I like that better because it breaks our familiarity with that phrase. Great joy, we kind of just see it as joy really and the great doesn't make a difference but the joy that he's talking about is literally loud joy I'm bringing you good news of loud joy and that's the kind of joy that we're talking about in regards to God and in regards to Christianity this is not joy that's library proof if you like. This is not joy that is appropriate. This is not a polite happiness, a sweet little giggle, something very measured and very controlled. This is a loud joy. The joy of Christianity is inappropriate. It's over the top. It's impossible to keep contained or deep, deep, deep down in our hearts so that no one can actually suspect that it's there. This is a joy that is so loud and uncontrollable, it's got some volume to it. When we look at the Gospels, we see a Jesus who's offensive because of his joy. This wasn't a polite, uh, religiously appropriate joy that he walked in. The Pharisees hated Jesus because children found him fun to be with. And rabbis, serious rabbis of Jesus' day shouldn't be wasting time on insignificant children. The Pharisees of Jesus' day hated him because Jesus was literally the life of the party. He was so overflowing in loud, inappropriate joy that the religious folk of Jesus' day hated that there was always a party wherever Jesus was at. Sinners wanted to be with Jesus, not because he was the moral police, but because he was overflowing in loud joy. He was literally the most fun person to be with. He had the loudest laugh in the room. And how do I know that? Well, Psalms talks about the fact that he was anointed with the oil of gladness or the oil of joy above his companions. Literally, Jesus was the happiest person you could bump into ever. 
He was the most joy-filled person. And before you say to me that happiness and joy are not the same thing, I just want to say you're absolutely right. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Joy goes over and above happiness. So it includes and then surpasses happiness. If joy isn't impacting our faces, then it's not really joy. Like I said, biblical joy, Christian joy, is loud. It's something that other people experience from us. There is a fruit of joy, Galatians tells us, that the Spirit brings to us that literally people can taste. And so if people don't bump into us and think, wow, there's joy on you, then we don't really have it. We can't really say, oh no, I just keep my joy hidden. You can't with biblical joy because by definition, it is loud. And that's why kids surrounded Jesus. That's why sinners partied with him. This was no pious faced teacher's pet. Jesus was full of loud joy. And this is the cool thing about Jesus. In John 15, he says to his disciples, I've said these things to you. He's telling them all about obeying him, of um, living lives that are abiding in him, living in the good of his word and of his spirit. And then he says, you know, I've said all of these things to you. uh, So that what? So that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. I love that because what is true of him, he's essentially saying will become true of us because as we rest in him, all that is his becomes all that is ours. And the man who was over and above, uh, full of loud joy, gives us what he had in joy so that our joy becomes complete. Our joy becomes overflowing and our joy becomes loud just like his is. Now here's the next thing, the joy of Christianity. It might be surprising, it's definitely loud, but the third thing here is that the joy of Christianity is a super weapon. This is no frivolous, um, yeah, maybe loud laughter that is basically the fruit of denial of the pain of life. This is not a joy that is just loud, but it's joy that packs a punch. This isn't the temporary joy of delusion, almost like a drug high that allows you to forget the problems all around you. No, no, the joy of Christianity, whilst it's loud and you might think, oh, it's just surface deep, that's just silly. No, no, the joy of Christianity, it expresses externally, but it uh, equips and fortifies internally. It's a joy that equips us perfectly so that we can walk through pain, not in denial, but actually acknowledging the pain and then fortified by joy to walk through it fully. In Luke 2, the declaration that we see, you know, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That gives us a clue of what um, this joy-filled news has the power to do, which literally is an antidote to our fear. If we learn how to abide in Christ and allow his joy to become our joy, then what will happen is Fear begins to dissipate. Anxiety begins to dissipate because we're living in the power-filled super weapon of the joy of the kingdom. 
When we think about Jesus' joy some more, we'll see this on display in so many ways. Jesus didn't have loud joy because he didn't experience pain or was somehow oblivious to suffering. You know, this is the powerful thing about Jesus coming to earth. Uh, He was no kind of floating or levitating deity, just kind of appearing to humanity, uh, disconnected uh, from really the complexity of what it meant to be human. This wasn't some kind of uh, floating God just coming for a visit, but untouched by the pain of the world. No, no. Jesus, God made flesh. He didn't simply come to visit us with lovely religious sayings, float about, bless a few people here and there, and then float away again. No, Philippians tells us he came to earth, took on flesh, lay down his rights as God. He literally lay down all his power-filled defenses opened himself up to all the mess and pain of being human. And yes, he made perfect choices in his life with regards to purity, with regards to saying no, but he didn't close himself off from feeling what it meant to be human, from feeling the reality of the tension of temptation, from feeling pain and disappointment, from feeling the hurt, from grieving with friends, from, if if anything, he felt sorrow more than anybody else because he was filled with the spirit of compassion and comfort and he was moved consistently by the pain of all those around him. This was no God being full of joy because he was disconnected from the pain of humanity. No, this was a God filled with loud joy because it fortified him to walk through the suffering and pain of humanity. Isaiah describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He wasn't in denial, which is why he was able to be joy-filled. He was fully aware of the depth of hurt and brokenness all around him. And it was something that he experienced himself. And yet we're told in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured. See, that's the thing about the loud joy that Jesus walked in. It is a super weapon. That joy in the midst of pain allowed him to walk through the suffering. Uh, That joy is no weird, super religious denial of suffering, but it's eyes wide open, able to laugh at the lies of the enemy, even as those lies are being shot at us like flaming arrows. Nehemiah 8 talks about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that word strength there is literally the place or the means of our safety. The joy of the Lord is the place or the means of your safety. As we encounter a God of surprising, of loud joy, we come into something far more powerful and necessary, frankly, than we could ever imagine. 
Joy is not simply about letting off some steam and having some giggles with friends. Joy is a hand grenade that we are armed with in the face of suffering so that we can fight the uh, toxic, poisonous lies of the enemy with something that's effectively like an anti-venom for pain. This isn't something we conjure up, this joy in the kingdom. This is something that we inherit by association. John 15 again, we inherit by abiding in him and allowing him to abide in us. Because like I said, Galatians tells us that joy is a fruit of the spirit. So this isn't something that as Christians, we need to work really hard to, okay, now I'm burdened with this thing that now I have to be the most joy-filled. No, no. What we do to access the joy of Christianity is we allow the Holy Spirit to to work in us and we give him the space to do that and we don't even pray holy spirit i want more of you rather we say holy spirit have more of me so that the fruit of the spirit including powerful joy will become our experience last one from luke 2 the joy of christianity is for all I love this as the angel says, fear not, I bring you good news of loud joy, of great joy for all people. Now here's the thing, in a world of political correctness, inclusivity, you know, that's such a thing. Are you inclusive? People ask me about that for our church. Are you inclusive? And I actually hate that word, the way it's used in political correctness, because it's it's actually a horribly exclusive term, the way people use it. Uh, Because what they want is for everyone to be inclusive, but you're only included in that if you agree with being inclusive. But as soon as you disagree with any of the foundational elements that people want, uh, you're actually excluded. And so the way we use inclusive is almost completely oxymoronic in the way that in our world today. But anyway, In that kind of culture in the world today, we find a shockingly genuine offer of inclusivity in the gospel because here comes the angel and he says, hey, listen up shepherds, the least likely um, audience for God to announce himself to. The angels are sent to shepherds who were nothing, who were insignificant in the day. And so the angel says to them, I bring you good news of loud joy for all people. The joy of Christianity is genuinely inclusive. Everyone is invited to come and hear this good news and experience this great joy. This isn't joy that's only for the good amongst us. This isn't joy that's maybe for the young, but the older excluded. This isn't joy that's specifically for men, but women not so much. This isn't joy that is aimed at the wealthy, but the poor, they're too insignificant, so God doesn't care. No, there is joy to be had if you want it, regardless of where you come from, who you are, what your background is, what your culture is, what your color is, God genuinely invites us all to come and encounter the joy that he has on offer. This, we see it in such um, obvious clarity 
as the angel speaks to shepherds, but then as also kings are invited to bow down. See, whether you're rich or poor or whatever, this joy is for you. And so here we have it from Luke 2, this incredible joy that we're invited into. It is surprising that God should be associated with joy, real joy, joy that is over the top, joy that is crazy, joy that isn't just religious and pious and polite. That is a surprise right there and then. That joy, the joy should be so loud, so uncontrolled, so over the top. It's so beautiful, but that this isn't just about letting off steam with some laughter or denying the pain around us, but that the joy of Christianity is actually powerful. It enables you to walk through even the unthinkable sorrows and grief of humanity, armed with the strength, with the refuge of joy in God. And this joy isn't just for one group of people, isn't reserved for people who might be more deserving than others, no. This is a joy that is a genuine, inclusive offer for all humanity. This is a level playing field. Come and encounter a God of joy because he wants to give you what is in him, which is an incredibly loud and powerful joy. Now, I'm aware for some of you who've been listening to me, you might believe in God, you might be uh, walking with God, but when I'm talking about joy, there's something in you that's thinking, that's not my experience. I'm not living that out. I'm so overwhelmed by the pain or the difficulty that I'm in that I've lost all sense of joy. And this message isn't intended to make you feel bad or burdened. This message is an invitation to you. There is more in the kingdom than what you're settling for if you're not experiencing joy. And in fact, if you're in the middle of a fight, in the middle of a fight for any sense of peace or clarity in your life as a Christian, uh, what the Bible tells us is joy is strength. And in the middle of the fight, you definitely need strength to come and connect in with a God who is full of joy. And it might be, if that's you, that you just need to open up your heart to the spirit and allow him to come and um, blow through dusty areas of your heart that have grown um, cold to him and just allow him to fill you with his presence. You might want to read through John 15 and just read again through the beautiful invitation uh, where Jesus says, I invite you uh, to come to me. All these things I'm saying so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full. And it might be something for you to spend some time over this week reading through John 15 and inviting the God of loud joy to um, to pour into you that same joy that he has. But you might have been listening to this message and the more I talked, the more convinced you became that you don't really know the God I'm talking about. That your understanding of God has always been that he is kind of like this stern teacher who's just found out what you've been doing and you're full of fear, uh, definitely not full of joy, like my story from before. Or you've always seen him as some kind of uh, almost like a heavenly policeman figure who you felt like you needed to behave around rather than a throw a party around. And so as I've spoken, you've kept thinking, this isn't my experience of God, or this isn't what I believe him to be. Well, today would be a really good day to ask God to come and show you who he is.
I've had the joy of knowing God, really knowing him for over 30 years. And my experience is that he's always kinder than I've expected and that he's always got a louder laugh than I thought he did. He is a God of outrageous joy and he wants to introduce himself to you, not as a stern headmaster just waiting for you to trip up so that he can punish you. No, as a kind and good father with an infectious laugh who wants you to know the grace and compassion that he's offering you and to be filled with his joy so that you can walk through anything in your life, anything in your life, able to laugh at any of the plans of the enemy because God is with you. And when he's with you, you have everything that you need. And so if this is you, I just want to pray over you. Father, I ask you today that you would introduce yourself to the men and women who are hearing my voice and who are thinking, I want to know this God. I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now that you would tangibly speak to them, that you would have your hand on men and women who want to know you, that you would uh, show them your heart and that they would experience your joy. I speak joy over each and every one of you, that you would suddenly have an overflow of the joy of Christianity. Nothing polite, nothing sensible, nothing reasonable, nothing library proof, but that the joy that each of you walk in from this moment on would be transforming, would be powerful, would literally be a super weapon in the face of any pain or sorrow or grief, hey, that you would know the depth of joy that God experiences and that that would become your reality in everyday life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.